Ephesians chapter 5 today, uh, we're going to be in verses 15 through 18. And we're talking about uh, this idea of redeeming the time. Redeeming the, t- redeeming the time. You know, uh, we all go through various uh, seasons of life. And I think we've probably all had seasons in our life and opportunities in our life that we feel like we've wasted or squandered or missed out on or made wrong choices in. And so therefore we regret those seasons of life. Whether that season was one week or whether that season was one year or five years or whatever it may have been, we, we usually have seasons that we look back on and go, man, I wished I would have done this better. I wished I'd have done this differently. I wished I'd have known that then. And so there's this sense of regret. I have those seasons. I'm sure you have some seasons like that. And I think the worst thing that can happen though is for someone to get to the end of their life right? And their life kind of feel like one big season, one big opportunity that they've missed or that they've wasted, that they've squandered. In fact, Jesus said it this way, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? In other words, what good is it if you, if you seem to think you, in life, you acquire and acquire and acquire and seem to get all the things you think you want and then get to the end of that life and realize the things that are most important, ultimately life itself and your soul has been squandered. But what about the believer? You know, that's how we think about the unbeliever, right? The person that gets to the end of their life and realizes they lived for the wrong things and didn't know the Lord. But what about the believer? You know, I think it would be a tragedy for a believer to get to the end of their life and have deep regret over their life. Now, we all have regrets. Like I've already mentioned that. We've all got seasons in life or moments in life, decisions we've regretted or whatever. But there's a difference in that and kind of getting to the end of your life and feel like, man, you know, I really wasted my life. You know, nobody's going to get to their end of their life and think, I really wish I'd have spent more time on my iPhone. Uh, I really wished I'd have worked longer hours. I really wished I would, you know, had more possessions. I really wished I would have driven more new cars. I really wished I'd have had a bigger house. It's always about the relationships. It's about the people and it's about our walk with God. The things that are going to last forever and have the potential to last forever are the things that we care about most in the end. So, how do we steward our life in a way that we don't have regrets? How do we, because none of us live perfectly, right? We're all going to have some regrets. We all have moments we've wasted. We all have things we've done wrong. We all have, we have all those th- things. But as a general rule and a general principle, how do we redeem the time? Well, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that phrase in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. I think this is a big key to learning to live a more generous life. So look with me in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. It's on the screen for you this morning if you don't have the scriptures with you. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing this to the church at Ephesus. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then a verse we've looked at several times, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for these words uh, inspired by you, penned by the Apostle Paul, and and this, this inspired, inerrant word of God that comes to us this morning that was practical and relevant to the church at Ephesus some 2,000 years ago, and that is practical and relevant for us here today. And Lord, we pray as we study your word uh, that you would speak to our hearts, change our lives for the glory of Jesus, and it's in his name we pray, amen. 
You know, Paul writes these words um, on the heels of encouraging the believers here in Ephesians chapter 5 to live godly lives uh, and not ungodly lives in the midst of kind of this ungodly world, right? To walk in the light rather than walk in the darkness. And here he transitions in verse 15, focusing on what he calls our walk uh, and the importance in these dark, he calls them evil days, to redeem the time. And then he reveals to us in this passage how to do that. And that word there, walk, that you see, right? Look carefully how you walk is a euphemism that you see in both the Old in the New Testament for life, how you live your life. He's saying, be careful then how you live your life. Be careful the choices you make. Be careful the direction you're going. Be careful about your walk. We, in the Christian life, sometimes we use phrases like, you know, how's your walk with God? That's where that comes from. It's just talking about your relationship with God. How are you living your life? But the key phrase in these verses, in verses 15 through 17 at least, is this phrase, making the best use of the time. Uh, the passage kind of revolves around that idea. Yeah, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, here's how you walk wisely, making the best use of the time. Why should I do that? Because the days are evil. So therefore, here's how to do that. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the, the key phrase there is that idea of making the best use of the time. Now, other translations say redeeming the time. You may have a translation that says that, redeeming the time. Both are good translations, but redeeming here in this, it, it actually captures the original Greek better. Uh, that's what the, the, that phrase means. It's the word for redeem or to buy back or to purchase, kind of like you would purchase something out from underneath slavery. Uh, to, uh, it's to, to buy it back and to, to make the best use of it. So in other words, Paul is saying, don't let it be enslaved to sinful pursuits, but buy it back so that you can make the best use of it. Now, what does he mean by time? What, what time are we to make the best use of? Well, there's, there, here he's not talking about hours and minutes. Uh, there's two words for time in the Greek. We have one word for time, right? But we have other words we use to, to, to talk about the same thing. But they had two words, and that's the word uh, chronos or chronos and kairos. And this is that word kairos, and it speaks to a season or a time or an occasion, a, a period of time, okay? Or you might say, and some translations do, an opportunity. So some translations even say making the best use of the opportunity, an, another good translation. So it's, it's speaking of an opportune time, an opportune season, an opportune moment. So it's more of the word they would have used instead of saying like it's 12 o'clock, uh, you know, like what time is it? Is it 12 o'clock? More like what they would have used if they would have said, is it dinner time, right? Is it the opportune time for dinner? Um, is, it, is it time for me to fill in the blank? It, it speaks to the opportunity, speaks to the moment, now think about it this way. Your life and my life on this earth is an opportunity filled with many other opportunities. That's kind of a way to think about life. Uh, we don't get to do this life twice, right? So we, we have life on earth and then there is eternity. Within this life, you get certain seasons, moments, opportunities, and these things come and go. So it's like this life is a season filled with other seasons. It's an opportunity filled with other opportunities. It's one long moment filled with other moments. So all of our kairos, all of our opportunities, all of our seasons, they operate within limited chronos, chronos, limited time frames. All of these opportunities we have in life, including life itself, is made up of minutes and seconds and hours and days and weeks and chronological time. Now, you can waste your opportunities by wasting your time. But you can also manage your time very well and waste your opportunity. 
Think about it like this, someone who is like just a, like a, just a schedule freak, or maybe I can say that a nicer way. Uh, someone who's just really intent on everything has to be kept on the schedule, right? And that's not a bad thing, but, you know, they, they schedule everything, right? It's, I do this at this time, and all, their whole day's scheduled out, their, their family time's scheduled out, their kids' time's, and they just, everything runs on a, they're a planner, right? And everything has to be on a schedule. If it's not on the schedule, it's not real life, right? It has to be there, okay? And that, nothing wrong with that, but we can get everything on the schedule, and manage our time real well. But if Jesus is not the foundation at the center of our lives, we're gonna get to the end of our life, we're gonna waste it our opportunity. And so we have to understand this type of time that Paul is talking about here because it's critical to living our life in a way that glorifies God, blesses others, and at the end of our lives, we don't feel like we wasted our opportunity called life. Paul's saying we need to redeem it. We need to redeem the time, redeem the opportunities, redeem the opportunity called life, redeem the opportunities within life, make the most of these, to live for God, to witness for Christ, to serve others. It's bigger than maximizing our schedule, but it's not less than that. And if you waste your time, you'll waste your opportunity. So we'd all like to redeem the time. We'd all like to make the most of our lives. We'd all like to make the most of the opportunities we get in our life, but we, we fail from time to time to do this. Why do we do that? I think we can kind of see it in the text. Let me give you some reasons. We, we may fail to redeem the time because we're careless with our walk, careless with our life. He says, look carefully how you walk, right? Call his attention to it. Right before this, in the verse before it, he uses this phrase talking about, hey, you're to live like light in a dark world. He, said, he says, wake up, O sleeper, right? And then he says, look carefully how you walk. We have a tendency to be careless with our lives when it comes to our walk with God, if we're not careful. We have a tendency that we can watch our retirement account closer than we can watch our walk with God. That's just human nature. Uh, that, that's, just, that's, just our, that's just our sin nature. Uh, we can be careless with our walk. I, I liken it to sleepwalking, right? Some people can spiritually sleepwalk. I, I grew up in a house with one sister, and her, her room was across the hall from mine. And thankfully, she was not a sleepwalker, but she was what we call a sleep talker. And so sometimes I'd wake up in the middle of the night, I could just hear her, right? This and she probably hate me for saying this, but you're just, you know, talking nonsense across the hall, right? Like just having all kinds of crazy conversations with me or whoever. And it's not, it's just talking in her sleep, right? And so now if you know or live with a sleepwalker, that's a whole different issue. It's a lot scarier situation. But going through the motions and not really realizing what's going on. And some people do that spiritually. They wouldn't do that with their career. They wouldn't do that necessarily with their family life. But it comes spiritually, when it comes to how they relate to God, they just kind of go through the motions. It's just kind of like they're sleepwalking. They're doing things. They're saying things. They're, they're behaving in a certain way. But it's careless. But we can, also, we can also be unwise in our walk. He says, look carefully so that we what? Not walk unwisely, but walk wisely. See, making the most of our time on this earth and our opportunities is a wisdom issue. He says the way we're to walk wisely in this particular context is by redeeming the time. So we need to understand redeeming the time and wisdom are connected. It's a wisdom issue. And wisdom, the Bible tells us, comes from God. We gain wisdom from, from God's word, the Bible teaches us. And Proverbs tells us we can gain wisdom from experience. And as we live life and as we apply the truth of God's word, we gain and we grow in wisdom. But if we fail to learn from our choices, 
whether those were good or bad, mistakes or good choices, if we fail to dig into the truth of God's word and apply it to our lives and, and learn what happens when we don't, if, if we fail to listen to the counsel of others, if we fail to ask God for wisdom when we don't have it, we're going to waste our opportunities because we're going to not live wisely but unwisely. Every now and then I like to cook. And uh, when, I, when I cook something, unless it's like grilling a hamburger, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a slave to the recipe. Okay, so I'm going to go get the YouTube thing and I'm going to watch and I'm going to watch them put the ingredients in and watch them mix it and make sure I do, especially if it's something, and I want to make sure I get it right, right? And so some of you are maybe like that. You're, you're instruction followers, right? And so uh, you don't necessarily just toss out the instruction manual to the new toy or the new thing. You might read them or, or whatever it may be. And we get the reason we do that is because there's things we don't know and things we might miss. And so the wise thing to do, right, is to, to go to the manual or to go to the cookbook, or to go to the YouTube how-to, or whatever it may be. But at the same time, we'll live our lives completely distant from the Word of God. And it's more than a manual on how to live life. Don't misunderstand me. It's so much more than that. But, at the, but it's where wisdom comes from. And if we're going to be people that want to live life wisely, then we should be people of the book. We should be people who, who love and who dig into the word of God. When we neglect time in God's word, when we neglect time with God's people, when we neglect the values God would have us value, we're going to waste and we're going to squander opportunity. We go to God for forgiveness. We go to God in crisis. But that's the only time we go to God. That's the only time we go to his word. That's the only time we spend time in prayer. That's a recipe for what he calls later in the text, foolishness. A well-known pastor said it this way, the greatest question you can ask in life is what is the wise thing to do? And it is a really important question that we can ask in life in pretty much every situation, especially when you're in those areas that you think are gray areas. What is the wise thing to do? He said, ask it this way. Knowing what I know about God's word, knowing what I know about the situation that I'm in, the circumstances surrounding, knowing what I know about myself, what is the wise thing to do? What would be the thing that God would say and his word would say and experience would say is the wise thing to do. If we don't live that way, we can't properly redeem the time so we can live unwisely if we're not asking those questions, if we're not seeking wisdom. But thirdly, we can also simply be unaware of our opposition in life. Um, life is not lived on neutral ground. He says we need to redeem the time because the days are, are evil. In other words, there is a reason we have to redeem and maximize the opportunities life presents because the days are working against us. Time is working against us. The days are evil is speaking to the fact that we live in a fallen world and we have a real enemy at work in the world. So several weeks ago, we talked about this idea of spiritual warfare from Ephesians chapter 6. Well, look at what he says a few early, chapters earlier in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3, Paul writes, And you were dead... In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We live in a fallen world with fallen people, but this world is affected by the fact that Satan, he says, is the prince and the power of the air. See, if we live our lives unaware of that, if we live like that's not true, 
we don't have an enemy. The world's not broken and, and time's not at times working against us. There's an urgency here in what Paul is saying that we'll miss out on. Uh, some Greek dictionaries even point out that the idea of making the most of the time actually conveys a sense of urgency. Just that phrase, just that word. Why the urgency? The days are evil. And when, and when we live unaware of that, we'll, we'll live, we won't live urgent lives and, and, and we will miss out on the opportunities that we have around us. See, we need to think, it's, it's kind of like, you know, we know, we know salmon, what, they, they swim upstream, right? Some fish swim upstream, right? And so you think about the idea of, of a current or think about the idea of, um, um, of, of, of the t- ocean tide or whatever it is. We, we're always, as believers, we're always going against the tide. We're always swimming the wrong way, so to speak. Everything else in the culture is flowing one particular way, right? And Ephesians 2 tells us, that we just read, we were right there with it, with the prince of the power there, sons of disobedience. We were in the cultural flow, flowing the wrong way. And then we were dead in our sins in that but when God changed our heart when he brought us to life in Christ when we repented of our sin and came to faith in Jesus Christ repent means turn around so we turned around and so now we're going against that tide we're going against that flow the days are evil it's working against us the cultural tide is against us and if we don't realize that we will not make the most of the time we will not redeem the time The tide is against us. We are called to live carefully. We're called to live wisely. We're called to live urgently, understanding these things, aware of the the days that we're in. It's a lot at stake. He said, why is there a lot at stake? Because our very lives are what he's talking about here. He's talking about the opportunity called life and the opportunities that exist within this life to live for the glory of God and for the good of our neighbors. And no matter what stage of life you are in today, no matter what stage of life you're in, it presents opportunities. You say, well, my opportunities have passed. Oh, no, no, no matter what state, they don't all present the same opportunities, but they all, every stage of life presents opportunities. Let me give you some example. So a teenager I don't know that I can think of a time in my life where I had more opportunity for evangelism and opportunity to shape my future than when I was a teenager. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity. College and young adult years, you're making career choices. You're, you're probably meeting your spouse. I mean, major life-shaping opportunity is before you. When you're, when you're in the newlywed years and you're married, but you don't have kids yet, um, you're laying the foundation for your home. You're cementing the relationship that you're going to potentially, if you have kids one day, bring them into, right? It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. If you have small children, you are laying the foundation in their lives, that is going to be built on. They call those ages, until they hit the, I think it's the age of five or six, they call it the magic years, right? You don't, you don't get those years back. If you've got kids that you're preparing to launch out into the real world, they are about to enter the real world. Real life is about to slap them in the face and you don't get another opportunity to prepare them for that. You're in the empty nest years, but you're not retired yet. You won't believe me when I tell you this, but you've got more time than you used to. You've you've got more mobility probably than you used to. Circumstances vary, but you're in a different season of life now. And you can do some things that you couldn't do before. You can make some decisions that you couldn't make before. And if you're in the retirement years, you've got more wisdom to offer than you've probably ever had to offer. 
And you've got more freedom, if you've got, especially if you've got your health, more freedom than you've ever had. But no matter where you're at, no matter what season, there's some opportunity, whether it's an opportunity to offer wisdom, an opportunity to pray more, an opportunity to disciple someone younger than me, whatever, I've got an opportunity that I didn't have in other seasons. There's always, life is filled with opportunity. This, these seasons, these opportune times that Paul is speaking that we need to, to redeem, that we need to make the most of. But we can miss opportunities if we waste this to serve, to share the gospel, to disciple, to encourage, to to give glory to God, to bless our family, to do what God's called us to do. It's the same for churches. Uh, no matter what season a church is in, in terms of its age or its size, we're, we're, we're a smaller church, and, and there, is, there, is, there are things, there are opportunities we have as a smaller church that wouldn't have as a larger church. There are opportunities larger churches have that wouldn't have a smaller church. Every, it's, whether it's corporately or we're talking individually, there's opportunity in every season of life. Now, here's the temptation. The temptation in every season of life is this, man, this thing that snags us up called selfishness. Self-centered or idolatrous pursuits. So, in these evil days, we can be persuaded to do evil because there's still evil in us. And in these evil days, we can be tempted to just flow right with that stream the wrong direction and to become and to take on this the, the the mantra of our culture which is it's all about me and that's human nature that's human sin nature and that's the temptation that we have to fight we begin to fight for what we want so for instance if it's parenting i begin to try to make my kids into my image right uh, and, and, and as, as opposed to pointing them to Christ so that they will be transformed into his image. Begin to look at how they act and think and behave. And instead of pointing them to Christ and his grace, I begin to try to force certain behaviors. We think how we'd like to spend our retirement years. And instead of how can I glorify Christ in my retirement years, it's and how can I bless Jesus' church? How can I bless Jesus' world in my retirement years? We begin to pursue careers, relationships with no thought to God and his glory. It doesn't even enter into the picture. That's a temptation that we face. Say, so, well, I served my time. It's not your time, right? We're going to talk about this, but man, if we belong to Christ, every, the reason we redeem the opportunity is because the opportunities belong to him. The reason we redeem the time is because our time has been purchased by him. All of us belongs to him. And, so, and when we live this way, when we choose to redeem the time, and, and we're going to talk about how to do that in just a moment. When we choose to do that to the world around us, it looks like we're living these generous lives because we will live more open-handed with our time. Because we'll understand that, that God wants us to prioritize certain things. Like time with him, time with his people, serving people, ministering to people, sharing the gospel with people, helping people, all these sort of things. We'll, we'll realize, man, people are a big, a big part of that. And people think, wow, you're really generous with your time. But the truth is we know our time and our lives, our very selves, belong to God. But to live in every season in such a way that we glorify God and bless our neighbors and bless Christ's church will, 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 will to a watching world be like, wow, they really live generously with their time. 
So how do we do that? The key to redeeming the time, the key to making the most of the time, as our text says, two keys right here in verse 17 and 18. Therefore, he says what? Understand the will of the Lord. So the first one is living for the right purpose. Uh, the secret to redeeming the opportunities in every season, the, the secret to, to, to ma- making the most of the opportunity of life is this. It starts with understanding the will of the Lord. And, 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 and Bible commentators will tell you that Lord here, he, is, was he talking about God kind of like in general? Is he talking more specifically about the second person of the Trinity, Jesus? And he, he seems to be pointing to Jesus. So yes, the will of God, but specifically the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, foolishness, as he says in verse 17, or ignorance, that leads to unwise living. It leads to careless living. It leads to this ignorant foolishness leads to being disconnected from knowing what Christ would have me to do. We need to understand, we need our minds to be filled not with foolishness, but with a, a particular understanding, and that is, he says, the will of the Lord. And see, we're going to pursue someone's will. Every single one of us do. This is the way we're wired. Every choice we make is connected to our will. And so every choice we make is either, it's connection to our will, someone else's will, or the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the goal of the Christian life is we want our will to be submitted and surrendered to his will. But every choice we make is connected to the will. And we need our will to be transformed by his and if we want our lives to count, we got to live for what matters most. And as Christ followers, we understand that Jesus has to be at the center of that. That's why he says it's, it's the will of the Lord, Jesus Christ. It's the will of the Lord because Christ has to be at the center of the life. He's the preeminent one. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, he's the one that God is uniting all things in him. He's the head. He's the chief. He's the king of kings. He is, as Paul says in Colossians, preeminent, supreme. Everything else falls underneath him. He is the one that gives order and peace to all things. Him, he is the supreme one. Now, we won't care to understand his will and to submit to it unless we view Jesus that way. We won't care to understand the will of the Lord unless we see Jesus as supreme and his will is supreme to ours because he in his person is supreme to us. He's greater than us and more glorious than us and more holy than us. All the, unless we see it that way, we won't value his will more than our will. And that requires heart change, right? That's what Ephesians 2 was all about. You were dead in your sins. You've been made alive in Christ. And now you're awake and alive to the fact of the beauty and the supremacy of Christ. And so you want, in your heart of hearts, you want his will above your own. And you hate the fact that a lot of times you'd rather have your will. It's this weird tug of war that goes on inside the heart of the believer. But it would be remiss if we, before we went any further, if we didn't state that fact. That step number one here is a heart transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we won't cherish and desire and pursue the right purpose, which is the will of the Lord, and want to understand his will unless we first have had our heart changed by the power of the gospel. Unless we've understood who Christ is, what he's done for us, and dying for our sins on the cross. Unless we've repented of our sin and believed on Christ and his death and believe he's risen from the dead. Unless, unless that's happened, unless that's happened and we view him as the crucified and risen Savior, why do I care about his will? That, that, that's step one. 
Now, if we are as believers to live our lives seeking to do God's will, specifically in this text, Christ's will as revealed in his word in the various areas of our lives, then, then I've got to kind of know something and we're back, to, we're back to the book again. Because this is the revealed will of God, right? And so uh, he's not telling us that we need to figure out all the secret plans of God. The Bible tells us, I think it's in Deuteronomy, that the secret things belong to the Lord. There's some things God's not sharing with us that are beyond us. And that's okay because he's God. But he's given us his revealed will in his word. And so this idea of, of understanding his will, pursuing his purpose, means I've got to look at every situation and opportunity and season of life I am and bring the revealed will of God as revealed in the word of God to bear on that opportunity and on that situation. And that is, we've got to do that if we're going to maximize the opportunity, if we're not going to waste our lives. I should steward my seasons. I should steward my opportunities, my life, by bringing God's real revealed word, his will, his revealed will to bear on all of them, all of those opportunities. My time, my job, career choices, my parenting, everything, you name it, my relationships, where I live, my budget, everything has to be viewed through the lens of what I understand about the revealed will of God. See, if I make academics or sports the main thing in the lives of my kids, for instance, if the most important thing to me becomes that, they're going to know it, right? It'll begin to shape them. If, if I make obeying me and doing what I say the most important thing, that's going to shape them. So I better make sure, right, and what I make supreme in those moments and in those situations is the will of Christ or because it's, it's going to shape them, right? That's just, that's just using parenting as an example. I got to make sure it's the will of Christ, not the will of Joshua. Let me give you some other examples. You can take every single area of life and you can do that. And you can think, you know, if, if I make this supreme, if I make this, if I filter my decisions through this, if I filter my, my, my seasons through this, if I filter my opportunities through this lens, it's going to shape what I do with that opportunity. So it better be the will of Christ or I'm going to squander. It's going to be foolish. It's going to be un, unwise. I've got to be filled with his will, not my will. See, we can apply that logic across the board. So think about your season of life and ask this question. As I study God's word, how do I think Jesus, how do I think God would have me to decide, to do, to act, to behave, the choices he'd have me make? To, how would he have me steward this particular area, this particular thing? What is the Lord's will for how I invest my time, my chronological time, so that I can seize my opportune times, this period of time that I live in? See, if we understand the Lord's will in our lives because we are in his word, being taught his word, then we are ready to pursue it. This will lead us to living generous lives because think about how Jesus spent his life. I mean, if you're not real sure, go grab a gospel. Mark's the short one. You can grab Mark and it'll give you a great picture. Read through those 15, 16 chapters and you'll see very quickly how Jesus spent his time. You'll see him at times pulling away and spending time with God in prayer, yes, but man, it is colored with investing in people. 
Discipling people, helping people, healing people. In fact, Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for, for many. So don't you think that if I'm pursuing his purpose, if I'm understanding the will of Christ, that that's going to have something to do? Is that going to affect and impact how I spend my chronological time on this earth? Yeah, it's going to make me more service-oriented and more servant-hearted because I'm going to understand that's the will of Christ for me because the one who came to serve and not be served certainly expects those who have benefited from his service to serve in his name. Now, even if I know the right thing to do, the right purpose to live for, that doesn't mean I'll do it. In fact, from what we know about the Bible, I can tell you a lot of times we don't. <laughs> We're weak. We're weak. And that's why we always find ourselves back in Ephesians 5.18 or a verse like it. Because we can't just live pursuing the right purpose. We've got to live in the right, by the right power. Uh, be filled, he says, with the Holy Spirit. He says, don't get drunk with wine because that is the debauchery. It's, it's wasteful living, he says. You're, you're wasting your life if you spend it drunk, okay? That, that's, that's his point there. It's, it's interesting that he would pick that in this old, whole passage, which is about redeeming the time, okay? He's giving you an example of a way to waste the time. And there's other ways to waste the time. But his point is, it's not a substance that should dominate our lives. It's Christ who should dominate. It's God who should dominate our lives. We're to be filled, dominated by the Holy Spirit. We're to pursue the Lord's purposes in the Spirit's power. The Christian life isn't about who has the most willpower to get it done. It's not about who's the toughest at gritting it out. The Christian life's about surrender. It's about yielding my heart, my life, my desires to the Holy Spirit so that he can direct me in living in light of the revealed word of God. Because it's connected. That's why when you go to Colossians and you read about where he talks about being filled with the word of God, the results that it leads to, the singing and making melody in your heart and all that in Colossians is the same exact results that happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5 because being filled with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Word of God and directed in the revealed will of God called the Word of God, it's going to produce the same results and you can't have one without the other. We can't live a Spirit-filled life in a Word-void life. And if you get into the Word enough, at some point... <laughs> The Spirit of God's going to work in you, and you're going to find yourself yielding to the Spirit of God. He, he's, it's, the, it's the sword of the Spirit, as he says in Ephesians chapter 6. But if I confess my need, if I ask for help in, by faith, and if, I, and if I yield to his leadership, which is always in line with the revealed will of God, I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I can be empowered by him. I can have the helper's help to redeem the time. Here's the thing. Our lives offer this opportunity we've talked about to live for God and they are filled with these numerous other opportunities, these seasons of life that all of us find ourselves in, various seasons this morning, in which we can redeem the time for the Lord's purpose. We can make our lives count, in other words, for the glory of God. But it only happens if we redeem the time. And we can only do this if we live for the right purpose, right? The will of the Lord, understanding the will of the Lord in the right power, the power of the Holy Spirit. 
If we don't do that, we are going to squander opportunities and moments and seasons of life. And, and you, can, you, can, you can go around after the service and interview a few people and you'll find a few people and say, oh yeah, I squandered my college years. Oh yeah, I squandered my youth. <laughs> oh yeah, I look back on that particular season of life and I, with regret. There are plenty of regret in the room. We can have testimony after testimony. But the point of the text is it doesn't have to be that way. The days are evil, but you can make the most of the opportunity. We are called to live differently in this day, in the Spirit's power, for the Lord's purpose. So imagine with me for a moment something about your life this morning. Imagine your life like that. Seeking to understand the will of Christ and to live in the power of the Holy Spirit in every season and every opportunity that comes your way. Would it look any different? What would it look like for you and I to be fully pursuing the Lord's will and the Spirit's power? Would we be more or less involved in church, God's people? I'm not just talking about attending. I'm talking about like, would we be more committed to the body of Christ that Jesus purchased or less? The more we understand his will and the more we're empowered by his Spirit. Would we... Would we give more of our time or less of our time ministering to others and serving the bride of Christ? Would we spend more or less time engaging our lost neighbors? Would our family schedules look any different? I think we know it would mean changes for all of us in how we steward our time and our presence. Always would. So imagine with me for a moment how as a church, how we could impact our city if we fully live to redeem the time, pursuing the will of Christ and the power of the Spirit. Do you think we'd be a more generous people? Sure we would. Our time would be lived for God's glory. Our resources would be used for God's glory. We would want to cap, we, we would be thinking, okay, I'm in this season of life, but how do I leverage it for the glory of God? How do I use it for the good of my neighbor? How do I use it to, to, to bless others? How do I use it for the glory of Christ? How do I use it in such a way that builds and edifies Jesus' church? That's how we would, we would be thinking. And it would radically transform how we impact the city around us. And the more surrendered we are to the Lord's purposes and the more we live in his power, the world around us will think, wow, they're really generous. And what it simply is, is it all belongs to Jesus. And we're just living like that's true. We're just living like that's true. And the more we live like that's true, that we've been bought with a price and therefore we're gonna glorify God with our bodies, glorify God with all that, all that we are, the more generous we're gonna look because the more generous we actually will be but we're being generous with someone else's time, someone else's money, someone else's stuff, and someone else's body because we, if we're in Christ, we belong to him. Let's pray.